When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Boy, Nugent Hopkins to win it. Between circles, shoots and scores! Ryan Nugent Hopkins, the winner for the Oilers in He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Well, hello, all you beautiful people. The Edmonton Oilers will open up a four-game homestand tomorrow against the Chicago Blackhawks. After missing three games, Oscar Kleffbaum is ready to return. He's been dealing with a shoulder injury, and he says it's been bugging him all season long. Uh, yeah, it's been a, in a it's been a rough season. Uh, started in, in early September, so there's been a lot of medication and, and, and tough games. But like I said, it's it feels a lot better now, and then. It was a good Christmas break for me to to recover, and I feel ready to go tomorrow. Uh, how much did it affect shooting, passing, all that, just the little stuff on the ice, or and where is it at now? Because you feel yeah, of course it affects it, and I mean I don't want to have any excuses, but obviously it's, it's pretty tough when you know you're you're not 100%. But I mean I just want to focus uh, on on tomorrow's game right now, and like I said, it's been a it's been a good break for 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 me. Um, and I'm just looking forward to get on the ice again tomorrow. So just a week or so of rest made a big, big difference in it. Yeah, I got an injection too, so that really helped. And, and hopefully, it's gonna it's gonna turn out like the season is gonna be good now. So um, yeah, like I said, I just wanna focus in, uh, in the future and, and play good hockey right now. Obviously, at times it looked like something wasn't right with Oscar Clefbaum. Peter Shirelli confirmed that a few weeks ago in an interview with Bob Stoffer that Clefbaum was playing dinged up. So we now know it is indeed a shoulder issue that hopefully is better. And Clefbaum even referenced today that this was even an issue as far back as last year's postseason. It was bugging me a little bit in the playoffs, but you know it is the first playoffs in, in 10 years and you get a lot of medication and just battling through and, and played a lot of minutes and, and you really want to be there for the guy so um, it was bothering me a little bit back then too but like I said I don't want to have any excuses I just want to look forward to, to tomorrow's game yeah it, it's just it can be a bad hit or something that just triggers it a little bit bit and I get a inflammation or whatever it is in, in, in the shoulder and it gets very very sore and then you start getting on meds and I mean the stomach turns upside down when you're on meds for a couple of months too so um, I, I just happy to to feel a lot better now 
So, Clefbaum feeling better, hopefully will be playing better, not officially activated off injured reserve, but that is expected to happen tomorrow. Then the Oilers will have to make a roster move. We'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Andre Sekera didn't practice today. He's been back for three games from the torn ACL. That's just a maintenance day for him. So, but judging by practice today, Nurse and Russell will be a pairing, Clefbaum and Larson will be a pairing, and Sekera and Benning will be together. That's at least based on practice today because Nurse and Russell were together. Clefbaum and Larson reunited. They've been a pair for uh, much of the last year and a half, though not recently. And you had Davidson skating with Benning, but I would think Davidson would come out and Sekera would get that spot. Todd McClellan, happy to have Clefbaum back. He's had um, some problems. Um, not severe enough to keep him out of the lineup, but bad enough to affect his play and his mental state, he knows that it was there, so he needed this time. Um, he looks a lot chipper. He looks a little more confident now, and uh, I think the time off helped him. Uh, we expect him to be in the lineup tomorrow unless something acts up overnight. So a lot of references to this affecting uh, Clefbaum's uh, confidence, the, his mental ability as well as his physical ability. Your Oilers update for Nisku Ford. Every model on sale every day, Nisku Ford above expectations. So Clefbaum will be activated. The Oilers will have to do something with their roster to get back down to 23 men. Anton Slepeshev can be assigned to Bakersfield. That would leave them without a spare forward, or would it? Because Johan Avitu was skating as a forward today, and I said to Todd McClellan, Are you, could you actually use him up there? He could. Um, I like the way Johan skates. I like his aggressiveness and assertiveness. Um, when he played D, he was up there all the time. Um, so uh, th- there's a chance that we might have something there. We've talked to him about it a little bit. Um, he needs to learn that position a bit, but could become a, a utility guy for us. So if Slepeshev is the one assigned, we could see a situation where the scratches tomorrow are Davidson, Griba, and Ovitu, but not actually... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to call Ovitu a forward yet, but maybe the transformation has begun. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. There's your latest on Clefbaum. He looks good to go. You can get more on the Oilers page on 630chad.com. We're going to connect with Kelly Rudy, former NHL goalie who joins us once a week. He's now a broadcaster with Rogers, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about shot blocking, follow of our conversation last week and then a couple days after we had that conversation, Connor McDavid blocks the shot against Montreal. We'll also touch on superstitious goaltenders. It's 6-12. We're coming right back. This is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. And a reminder, you can always reach us by texting 630-630, our open line 780-496-0063, the email insidesports at 630ched.com. Oilers headlines today, cleft bomb, good to go for tomorrow. Johan Avitu skated as a forward at today's practice. Uh, Todd McClellan didn't say when, but certainly seemed very open to the possibility of using him as a forward in a game at some point. Oilers Blackhawks tomorrow. Furnace Family Oilers Hockey. Edmonton's Furnace replacement experts call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. What's going to happen tomorrow? We'll have a 5.30 face-off show 7 o'clock 
for the start of the game. Three NHL games underway tonight after the first. Panthers lead Philadelphia 1-0 late in the first. Scoreless between the Canadians and the Lightning. Boston is up 2-0 in Washington. David Backus has a goal, his sixth of the season. World Juniors scoreless early between United States and Slovakia. Of course, Canada and the U.S. going outdoors to play tomorrow. Sweden beat the Czech Republic 3-1. Finland over Denmark 4-1. Russia knocked off Switzerland 5-2. Pleased to welcome back to the show, former NHL goaltender, now an analyst with the NHL on Rogers, Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm recharged now, uh, Reed, and ready to start the second half of the season. Now, by recharged, what does that mean? Does that mean you ate a lot or you slept a lot? <laughs> a little combination of both. I think more than anything, I, you just sort of clear your mind. And, and I've told you many times uh, for a few years on your show that leading up to the holidays as a player, I was always distracted. And I found myself as a broadcaster this year even more so than in previous years. I don't know. I just felt that... I was so excited for the holidays. I had a couple of days off. I was really looking forward to it, and it did the trick because uh, I'm in San Jose today for the Flames game, and I leave tomorrow back for uh, Toronto, and uh, I just feel really energized and ready to go. And it's interesting, too, because at the morning skate for the Flames today, they look the same thing. They, I mean, they look terrible Friday night at home versus Montreal. Nobody had any energy, and today's morning skate, they're flying around. They're laughing and joking. And so they, they appear to be in a better frame of mind. Well, and, and did the, the Flames flew there yesterday, I assume? That's right. Yeah, yeah and, and the Oilers traveled really early in the morning, had a morning skate and then a, a meal and a nap in the afternoon. And I don't think the Oilers played bad, but they didn't play as well as they have been playing. And I wonder how that different routine in an early morning flight would have affected them. Well, I don't think the early morning flight is ideal for athletes because for the most part, uh, your body and your mind is trained for uh, things late in the day. And so when most people are winding down, you're ramping up. So for a 7 o'clock game, you're starting to get really energized around 5 o'clock in the evening, and it'll have to carry over till 10.30 or 11 or whatever. Um, and so I think it's different. The Flames went through the same thing last year, Reed. They had a, a game on the 27th in Denver, which is, I would think, about the same kind of flight that Edmonton had to Winnipeg. It's ballpark about uh, two hours. Um, and I know that the Flames, I believe I had a wake-up call at 4 in the morning to get to the airport because, again, like the Oilers, they had a morning skate in uh, Denver. And once the day was all said and done, by the time you fly home after, I believe it was something like a 22-hour day, 21-hour day. So not ideal for getting the maximum out of your body, although I will say it was a very entertaining game. Even Connor Hellebuck, the goalie for uh, Winnipeg, was talking about how, uh, how much he enjoyed that game. Of course, he was on the winning end, but it's different. To, so I think the energy i mean i got a taste of it because i was still traveling with the planes but on twitter and so on everybody was chatting about the game how exciting it was yeah a lot of action especially the first half of the game and a big push by the oilers at the end connor mcdavid did play kelly neither you nor i are fortune tellers but the day before <laughs> the game last week we started talking about 
shot blocking, and then on Saturday against Montreal, Connor McDavid uh, blocks the shot late in the game, limps off the ice. Everybody was really worried. Luckily, McClellan put that to rest right after the game, saying the x-rays turned out fine. But as soon as that happened, I thought of you, and I thought of uh, your conversation, our conversation, yeah. wondered what you were thinking. Well, and then we had the same uh, conversation on the panel afterwards with David Amber, Elliot, and Nick and I. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I come from it from a different perspective to a certain degree. Uh, first of all, as Nick explained on the air, something that I've never lived with, it, it's counterintuitive or not your nature to try and get out of the way of a shot. So it's just what, what goes through the player's, the skater's mind is that, well, I've got to get in front of it, I've got to block it. From my way I look at it, I'm thinking, first of all, um, uh, Jeff Petrie's not going to beat Talbot from there. I mean, that's no matter what, even if it's a, uh, a one-timer, which it was, the way Talbot's playing, I'm pretty confident. In fact, I'm 99% sure he's going to make the save. So I'd rather goaltender handle it and not have Connor McDavid get injured on that play. But I understand the other dynamics, that that's just the way everybody's playing. Now, I do accept that, um, but I just think that when you have a a shot coming from a dangerous area, then I'm all in. Then I think I don't care who you are, what your pedigree is, what your role is on the team, you have to block the shot. And by that, I mean if it's a dangerous scoring chance in the slot or something, I think everybody has to be committed. But from those point shots, I'm still torn with that because, and I've talked to a lot of the goalies around the league, not all of them, of course, but a number of them, and, and they all sort of, uh, some guys have even rolled their eyes at me about the shot blocking and why they don't like it and stuff, but they said they have to accept it because that's what their coaching staff wants. But to me, I just think that there are opportunities where it's a good idea, but overall, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I guess the rest, while this whole defensive system is in place, I guess I'll always be a little bit uh, torn with uh, how I feel about it. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Kelly, it's well-established that goaltenders are weird. Don't try to argue with me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, the, uh, I was watching the, some of the World Junior game on Boxing Day, Canada and Finland. So Carter Hart, who's a local kid's in goal for Canada, and he likes to be the last guy off the ice. And the Finnish backup goaltender would go on after the period and do a little bit of stretching and keep himself warm. And then Hart would Hart would wait for him to finish and then go off. That's how strongly he needs to be the last guy off the ice. And Ray yeah. Ferraro was saying on the broadcast that if he were the Finnish goalie or the Finnish coach, he'd say, stay out there until the Zamboni almost runs you over to keep Hart, you know, waiting and try to mess up his rhythm right. and stuff. What, what did you What did you think of that whole routine? Well, you know, I'm, uh, this is interesting because we're dealing with young kids. So whenever I see things like this, uh, whether it's a situation or uh, something to do with superstition, I always wonder if, like, it's, it's effective for him right now. I always wonder if at some point he's going to have the ability or capability to just let it go and not worry about what somebody else on another team's doing and sort of just relax that if he's not the last guy off the ice, I really strongly believe that that's not going to affect his play. Uh, I mean, the lesson I learned about that was when I was playing for the Islanders, might have been my second year, and so I'm starting to get a little bit more action. And I had this thing where I lined up my sticks on a on the wall in a particular way, 
and uh, the Washington stick boy, a young kid, he might have been like 14 or something, real nice kid, he's helping out, and he didn't know. But, I mean, the sticks were not where other sticks were, just in a random spot, so he moved my goalie sticks, and I must have snapped at him in some way, and Dennis Potvin, right in front of the kid, said, hey, Kelly, like, that's just wrong. You know, he's just doing his job. He thinks he's doing what he needs to do, and most importantly, he goes, where your sticks are on the wall, that's not going to affect the outcome of the game. And once you get that out of your head quicker, then it's a, it's an easier game to play. Then you're not messing with your head with ridiculous things that just all of us know, whether you're an athlete or what, you're cluttering your brain with things that it doesn't matter. And so I don't know about this for heart, uh, but that's what I look at when I look at young kids and they have these routines. We all have routines, don't get me wrong, but when they become more altering in your actions, then I think it's some it's kind of comical at times, but it's also it's a concern for me. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he uh, clings to that once he becomes a pro. Kelly, great to have you on the show. Enjoy your broadcast tonight in San Jose, and of course, Happy New Year. We'll talk to you next time in 2018. You got it. Thanks, Reed. Have a great night, bud. Thanks a lot, Kelly. Always great to have Kelly on the show. Interesting take there on uh, superstitions. He said there's, there's a difference between a routine and a superstition. And Kelly says there's a point where you have to let some things go and just say to yourself, that's not going to affect the game. I know how to get prepared, and I have to go out and play. Let's have some fun with our off-topic topic tonight. You can text 630-630, and I recognize that probably most of you never were professional athletes. I don't know, maybe there's a couple out there listening. Uh, the uh, Any sports-related superstition you had, probably when you played minor sports or college sports or something, I don't know, maybe it was intramural. Your strangest superstition that you or the team had and if you actually believe it helped, or now when you look back on it, it's just kind of silly. You can text 630-630. Some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, bringing down-home Southern food and other tasty treats. Salivate over the menu at northchickenyeg.com, or better yet, just go to their shop, 124th Street and 107th Avenue. 2017 was uh, an interesting season for your Oilers and Eskimos. You heard every game right here on 630 Chet for both teams. We'll uh, look back at some of the moments with Brendan Ulrich when we return. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. So I threw it out there before the break, and and you might have seen it in the World Junior game on Monday. Carter Hart, the Canadian goaltender, local product, has to be the last guy off the ice after periods. The Finnish goaltender comes on for some stretching, so Hart waits there for over a minute before the Finnish goaltender leaves. So I threw out there just for fun, and we recognize uh, I, we're, we're not pro athletes. We're probably playing fun sports, or maybe, maybe played competitively when we were younger. Uh, any superstition you had? Got a couple of good ones here on the text line. Rocket, who's a loyal listener, uh, says I have to be the last one to get my gear off after a game, and I have to be the last person to show up to a game i'll get dressed in five minutes right before the game and then go hard from the start every time that's interesting timing if you might be on a team where a bunch of people arrive late or or close to the wire Uh, and this texter sign your first name to your text if you can but this unnamed texter says this this is a good one i have to put my gear on based on the home and away scoreboard slots on that arena's scoreboard For example, if we were the home team and the home score was on the right side of the scoreboard, I got dressed right to left. (laughs) That is a good one. Man, 
That is a good one. I, I wonder if that person ever did it the opposite way or, or unintentionally did it the opposite way, if they still might have had a good game. You can text us to 630-630. Those are some fun ones for sure. USA and Slovakia still scoreless. Five minutes left in the first period at the World Juniors. Uh, the game tomorrow outside. Somebody else texted in, uh, watching USA-Slovakia. Canada is off tonight but plays the U.S. tomorrow in the outdoor game. Uh, is that advantage Canada due to the USA playing back-to-back, or do you think it's different than the back-to-back NHL games the media often discusses? No one, uh, no media talks about it in the junior tourney. I, I think it might be a bit of an advantage of, for Canada, but uh, more so because of a, uh, what do we got, an evening and then an afternoon game for the for for the U.S., right? How far is it between? I'm just double-checking the start time because I got a bad memory. Uh, tomorrow's outdoor game is at three Eastern. So yeah, one, so yeah, tomorrow at one in the afternoon our time, the U.S. has to play again. I think it, the reason the back-to-backs aren't discussed in this in the World Junior as much is because there's generally no travel involved. It's usually in one city or two venues that are close by, or even in the same city, like we have in Buffalo. There's a tournament template that's pretty much the same every year. So teams play four round robin games in six days to to get it going. That's probably why it's not discussed as much. But I think this could be an advantage for Canada. Hey, uh, what are we looking at here? December 28th. This is actually the final edition of Inside Sports for 2017 because we have an Oilers game tomorrow, and then it's the weekend. And there were some pretty exciting moments broadcast on the 6:30 Chet Airwaves. This past year. And he's got that one, Hazelton to midfield, and he's running down the sidelines. Vidal Hazelton to the 10, the 5, touchdown Eskimos. 108 yards to the end zone, Vidal Hazelton. The desperate Kings working around the end boards, Martinez. 35 seconds to go. Kopitar deep left corner. Crowd in an absolute frenzy. The puck pinned in the corner. Four players digging at it. Work free to Martinez. One timer up top. Kick save made by Talbot. 20 seconds to go. Wrist shot save Talbot. Rebound top of the blue paint. Wrist shot Martinez save Talbot. Kopitar Bangs it off the back of the net. 12 seconds. Rick shot Martinez. Save made by Cam Talbot, who freezes the puck with 11.9 to go. He'll swing it out to the outside, and it is to the end zone. Touchdown, Eskimos. Darrell Walker with the touchdown, and the Eskimos take the lead with less than a minute to go. Now dishing back for David DeArnay. He'll swing it to the corner for Drysaddle. Back in front to DeArnay. Shots. sure you remember all those moments and big plays just four of them that we had here on 630 Ched and one guy who certainly remembers them because uh, for Eskimos games he's right on the field and he's in both Oilers and Eskimos locker rooms right after their results win or lose it's the producer of Oilers now here on 630 Ched my good buddy Brendan Ulrich Brendan how are you doing not bad, Reed. Doing pretty good. Feeling a little uh, jacked up, pumped up after listening to all those recaps. There, that was awesome. Pretty, uh, I get pretty you going. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good highlights. And I, I said, I'll, I said, I'll make some audio, Brendan, to before I bring you in. And you said you got to put that Hazelton 108-yard touchdown in there. 
Yeah, there is a reason I'll always remember that play. Actually, Morley threw down to the sidelines for a sideline hit, and I was actually talking about Vidal Hazelton and how he was gaining some uh, familiarity with uh, Mike Riley. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, there's a pass in the air, and it's going to Vidal Hazelton. I better shut up and let Morley take this one away. And then, and then Morley, of course, uh, gets the chance to call a 108-yard touchdown and was the longest touchdown reception in Eskimos history. So that was a pretty cool moment, and just the, the play developing and seeing it, and then he ran right by me on the sidelines. Then I got to interview him after that uh, at the half, so it was pretty cool. Oh, that's right. He would have gone right by you because you're usually on about the south, what, 35 or 30-yard line? And yeah, was, I usually move between the 35 and the 30. I'm in that, that zone there. And wasn't he starting to run out of gas at that point? <laughs> yeah, he almost, he almost got, got tackled caught. at the end. That was crazy. I mean, that's a that's a long run. You would think for a receiver he'd be okay to make it all the way, but uh, he was clearly out of gas, and uh, he barely made it in, but he did get the job done, and uh, goes in the history books. The other Eskimo highlight we had in there was a last-minute touchdown where the Eskimos beat Toronto, where they, they were starting to get back on track at the end of the season. Walker was back at that point. Uh, obviously, Grimes was back on defense. Uh, I think they had Gable for that game. Uh, yeah, they did. Yeah, they, they had him yeah. in Montreal the week before too. Uh, so that was sort of the team that finished the finished the season and and got out of that big uh, losing spiral. And, and and you said you wanted that one included as well. How come? Well, that was just a crazy game overall, and uh, it was a back and forth game. You even go back early in that game when Riley had that uh, I think it was a twenty air touchdown run where he sort of flipped into the end zone. Riley wasn't running a whole lot throughout this uh, past season, um, but when he did, he made it count, and I always remember that play. That was early in the game. You sort of knew this was going to be a fun, exciting game uh, after that play happened, and then even before uh, the Walker touchdown, it was third and ten, and Riley threw it to Zilstra in triple coverage, and uh, it then led to the uh, Walker touchdown, the game winner, and of course it was uh, the Eskimos clinching a playoff spot, and through all they went through that season, it was pretty incredible for it to finally happen. They started out so hot, and then they had all the injuries, all the losses, and then they sort of uh, regrouped at the end there and finally uh, got the job done and made the playoffs, so I thought it was a, a pretty cool moment. Tell people what it's like, because I know a lot of fans say, especially for football, there, there's a point where the seats are too low. As much as you're, you're close to the action, um, you know, there's stuff that happens on the far side of the field. It's a much bigger surface than a hockey rink. You're standing on the sideline with the Eskimos bench right to your left. I know you've been doing this a few years, but what are some tips for following the game from field level, Brendan? Well, it's tough. Um, one of the advantages, you do have a headset on, so you can hear uh, Morley and Dave from up top, and then you can sort of focus on what you think you need to see that you can add to the broadcast in certain situations. So I start looking for other things, such as what's happening at uh, you know, the line of scrimmage or if there's an offside that happens. And you can, you can listen to the players jarring at each other as well uh, from field level. So those are some of the things you look for. I actually need to sit down, though, with Blake Dermott one of these days and sort of talk to him about what an offensive lineman is looking for in certain situations. I think that would really help my vantage point because you're so close to that, and then if you actually talk to a guy that's played, uh, he could actually maybe share some more light on what I should be looking for. But those are some of the things I've started to pick up on as uh, I get more comfortable down at field level. Hold on. The the players jaw each other during the game? No, what type of things do they say, Brendan? Is it sort of like, oh, nice tackle, or hey, I I thought you would have had that one? You know, My favorite just... ever moment down at the field level, you know this, Reed, is when uh, John White scored a big touchdown a few seasons ago, and he started chanting, I'm a beast, I'm a beast, and he was banging his chest 
I'll never forget that. That was one of my favorite moments. Or even this year, there was a big touchdown by Darius Bowman, and it was sort of like, okay, Darius Bowman's back. It was a tough season for him. You could tell just uh, how excited the players were for him to score a touchdown, and, and he sort of got his confidence back, and then he finished the season so strong. So, you know, things like that you, you sort of pick up from field level, and uh, it, it's pretty exciting. Well, when was the last time you almost got run over? <laughs> oh, that, that happens almost every game. <laughs> because sometimes I'm trying to tweet stuff, or I'm looking at my phone, and then all of a sudden, well, you know, like we're sort of, I'm going to, as I talked about, I can only go up about 10 yards because I'm connected to my headset. It's not a wireless headset where I can roam all the way up and down the sidelines, so I I mean, I'm basically constricted to an area. So if a player's come, I don't have a lot of uh, room to maneuver, so it can get pretty dicey at times. Brendan Ulrich joining us on Inside Sports, our Eskimo sideline reporter, the producer of Oilers now, noon to two every day on 630 Chet. So the, a, lot of, a lot of good moments for the Oilers this season. Uh, you know, some exciting overtime wins in the regular season, some, some great McDavid goals, some big saves by Talbot. We actually picked two moments, both from, from last year, and maybe, well, that, that probably is my favorite Jack Michaels call of all time during his uh, tenure here as the Oilers play-by-play guy. The Talbot save frenzy late in the playoff spot clincher against the L.A. Kings. Yeah, no one does it like Jack Michaels. And we were sort of waiting for a few years, like, okay, when is Jack going to get his big moment to call something huge for the Oilers? And that was it. He let it all out uh, in that moment. I was happy you put it in there, Reed, because... Uh, I was listening to uh, the recap today uh, between uh, Jack Michaels and Bob Stoffer last night against the Jets. And, I mean, Jack brought it in that game. I don't think it was a fun game for the coaches, but for, you know, if you're a play-by-play guy, all the chances and lots of exciting moments, uh, it sort of brought me back to that game against the L.A. Kings when the Oilers finally clinched a playoff spot for the first time in 10 years. And uh, for me, it was, of course, my first time covering the team, seeing the team get to the playoffs, so that was uh, extra special. And, uh, I mean, Cam Tell was great in that game. I think he made like 34, 35 saves, but the way he sort of, you know, walked it down there and the crowd was going wild and it finally happened. The Oilers are finally back in the playoffs. I'm pretty happy uh, you worked that one in there because I'll always remember that moment. What was, what was it like in the dressing room after that game? Well, I think it was, uh, you know, go talk to Ryan Nugent Hawkins, go talk to Jordan Eberle, those guys, because it was the first time they were ever getting into the playoffs. I remember that. And then I think a lot of... Uh, for like McDavid and guys like that, you were thinking, okay, this is the start of something special for guys like that, the younger guys. Like, this is going to be the norm for these guys, so let's get used to this. But I think it was just extra special in that moment for, for guys like uh, an Eberle or Nugent Hopkins that finally got to the playoffs for the first time in Oilers uniform. That's what I'll probably remember the most there. The DeHarnay goal, the Oilers went to overtime four times in the playoffs. They only won that one game, and as much as we talk about the... Uh, the bad call in Game Five. Uh, you know, if the Oilers could have could have won that one in overtime or won Game Four in home ice on overtime, that's another who knows scenario for them. And how ironic is it that the guy who gets the first overtime goal for the Oilers since 2006, still the only overtime goal in the last 11 years in the playoffs, uh, was the guy who was hardly an Oiler for well, wasn't an Oiler for very long. David uh, David DeHardet came through with that one. Yeah, he made a count and uh. I was actually down, uh, you know, by where the Oilers come out, Reed, hovered around a small little TV screen with like six or seven of the media guys. I think Gene Prince play was down there, you know, about Tom Gazzola, uh, the PR guys, Sean May, J.J. Hebert, those guys were all down there with us, and we're all just hovered around a small TV, and we were all in shock. They are scored. Like, what the heck? But it was, uh, it was an awesome moment. And, uh, yeah, I mean, for Deharnay, who comes over in the trade, I think a lot of people were sort of uh, surprised by the deal when it happened. 
course, Davidson going the other way. A lot of fans had, uh, you know, developed uh, some, like, a lot of fans really sort of grew with Davidson and, you know, with his story battling the cancer, and they really, you know, thought he was coming along as a player, and all of a sudden he gets traded. Then as for DeHarnay, he comes in, and uh, it was hit or miss with them, quite frankly, down the stretch. But it all, you know, when it all mattered the most, he, he made a big play, and uh, I'll always remember the pass by Drysdale, too. That was just a sick saucer pass to uh, DeHarnay, and uh, ended up being the winner, and of course, uh, the others won that game in double overtime, so that was pretty cool. Well, hopefully more playoffs uh, to come in 2018, and another good Eskimos team. Uh, we'll see what happens with guys like Walker and Zilstra and Ladler, who who could be trying to go to the NFL. I want to read you this text, Brendan. We I put out there, uh, give me a superstition you had as an athlete. This is a great one from CJ, who says, when I was a young lad at the age of 10, I had a soccer coach stress the importance of stepping on the field with your left foot first, because it represented your love of the game. Game. CJ goes on to say, to this day, as a 47-year-old man, I cannot step onto any playing surface without putting my left foot first. Wow, that that that, that is that is some great superstition instilled in CJ from when he was a young boy. Yeah, that's outstanding. Um, any that come to mind for me? I was I was never great at hockey, but uh, you know, as a kid, I always had to eat chicken or pasta. I guess that's the first thing. And then uh, I always in warm-ups, I always wanted to score a nice goal. Uh, so that always made me feel better and confident heading into a game, whether it be just a nice shot, uh, top shelf, or yeah, something like that. Yeah, just humiliate your goaltender and warm up. That's nice, Brandon. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> makes you feel good, at least confident wise. Uh, uh, that's yeah, funny. So that's uh, what comes to mind. Brendan, thanks for uh, sharing some of the highlights of 2017, buddy. I guess I will see you at the game tomorrow night. Really we appreciate really you coming on. didn't really talk McDavid moments, eh? That's surprising. There were a few big ones in 2017. Well, there were a few big ones. Well, we'll do that points. next week. Yeah, no, that's fine. There's, there's, those are some good moments. I'm happy you brought me on tonight, Reed, though, because at this time last night I was watching probably the worst movie we've ever seen. And, uh, oh, the little down- person movie. What's it called? <laughs> Downsizing. Downsizing. You didn't like I've Downsizing. I've never left a movie early in my life, and that was the first last night. All right. So I'll well, leave you with that. Well, Worst we'll... movies of 2017 in my <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Brendan. We'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Reed. Brendan Ulrich checking in. Producer Foilers now here on 630 Chet. He did not like downsizing. I, have, I haven't seen it. I was talking about The Last Jedi with uh, Jesperson earlier today. Uh, Clefbaum looks like he's going to play tomorrow. We'll get to another Oilers note. They signed somebody to an entry-level contract. Tell you who that was when we get back. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. All right, really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Fun to have Brendan Ulrich on the show. Want to remind you, some guests on Inside Sports, and it may be Brendan, maybe Brendan if he plays his cards right, get gift certificates to Northern Chicken, enjoy a cold craft beer or a great glass of bourbon with modern soul food and other tasty treats at Northern Chicken, 10704, 124th Street. Quick check of the out-of-town scoreboard. NHL tonight, Canadians up 1-0 on the Lightning. That's in the second period. Brendan Gallagher, his 15th of the season, came on the power play. Also in the second period, 2-0 Panthers leading the Flyers and 2-0 the Bruins leading the Capitals. Game still to come tonight. Maple Leafs at the Coyotes. 
Chicago plays in Vancouver. Of course, the Blackhawks are here tomorrow. Anton Forsberg will start in goal for the Blackhawks with Corey Crawford on the injured list. Jeff Glass has been called up to be Chicago's black, uh, backup. Wouldn't surprise me if they start Forsberg in back-to-back games. Golden Knights will take on the Kings, and at 8.30, the Flames play the Sharks. Edmonton sitting there with 36 points. Calgary has 39. San Jose is third in the division. They have 42 points. So Edmonton, six out in the division. They're five out in the wild card behind Minnesota's 41. Chicago sitting there with uh, 39. So Edmonton will... uh, remain five out in the wild card tonight. I don't think I missed any combinations, uh, but that's what we're looking at is the Oilers playing better in December, playing better lately, seven and four in December, 10 and six in their last 16 games. Remember, they were nine out a couple of weeks ago, so now it's at five. They'll try to keep slowly moving up, and I do think it'll be a slow climb. So the Oilers today, uh, besides the cleft bomb news, I want to tell you about a guy named Cameron Hebig, plays for the Saskatoon Blades. The Oilers have signed him to a three-year entry-level deal. He's a 20-year-old, undrafted, Good point totals this season, 51 points in 34 games. Did not play at all last year because of a concussion. Uh, Around 6 feet, about 180 pounds. Was uh, talking to some people who follow the WHL very closely. Uh, Poised, patience with the puck. Decent speed, good penalty killer, tenacious on the puck. More likely to be a really good AHL player with an outside chance to play in the NHL. So I, I think this is some organizational depth here for for the Oilers once he finishes his uh, AHL career. Does have speed, uh, good shooter when he gets a chance. Actually attended Pittsburgh camp and he was scheduled to attend again, but then he went down on the first day of Blades camp last year. So uh, Cameron, he being a name to remember for the future of your Edmonton Oilers. Was asked about that outdoor game tomorrow. Canada and the United States at the World Juniors. Dante Fabro with uh, Team Canada says there's really no way to prepare for the bitter cold that's expected. I don't think there's any strategy to stay warm out there. It's uh, it's, it's pretty cold. Um, but I think, honestly, it's as soon as you start skating around, I know the first five minutes was freeze. I couldn't even feel my face. But uh, after the first five, it was uh, it was a lot better and kind of got warm. And that's honestly that's, that's all you can really do. World Junior results today. Finland over Denmark 4-1. Russia beating the Swiss 5-2. Sweden getting past the Czech Republic 3-1. Oh, another note here. Mark Scheifele for the Jets injured last night against the Oilers. Expected to be out six to eight weeks with an upper body injury, so he will not play on New Year's Eve when the Jets are here. Spengler Cup. Canada gets a buy into the semis by beating HC Davos 4-1. We're going to talk to Mason Raymond from the Canada Spengler Cup team in the next hour of the show. When we get back, oh my goodness. Not sure how this is going to go. Jay Onright scheduled to join us. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.